We're on week three of Habakkuk, and I have a few questions. Do you all know how to spell it now? Because I got it. Yeah, I had to tell myself that all week while writing this sermon. One B, multiple Ks. Keep wanting to write two Ks. Um, Okay. Can you find it in the Bible now? It's like almost at the halfway point, but not quite. Do you know what number it is in the minor prophets? So there's 12 minor prophets. Do you know which one it is? Good. It's eight. It's okay. You still have another week to perfect this. Um, Or my favorite thing about Habakkuk is, do you say Habakkuk or Habakkuk? If you're a little bit more theologically snobby or just a Canadian trying her best, I don't know. Um, Anyway, those are my important questions. I got them out of the way. Um, we're in chapter three of Habakkuk this week, um, and it's, it's a little different in comparison to the first two chapters. It's actually a song, not a psalm, although it definitely has qualifications for it to be in the book of Psalms. Um, it, it's got nods of lament through it, which we've heard, and thanksgiving. It's kind of a hymn, almost, and it's got like nods of liturgy, and, all, and it's all in this like one chapter. Um, and we read actually in, in chapter three, verse one, that it, that it is a song. That's what that funky word that you don't know how to say means. Um, it's supposed to be played alongside of stringed instruments. And so it's a little, like the tone is different than the first two chapters. And if you've missed the first two chapters, Uh, Definitely go back and listen to those sermons, because my very brief recap here is chapter one, which Ward spoke on, is this main prophet guy who we know very little about saying, how long, God, how long will I cry for help? Um, And wondering if God is even listening. And he ironically doesn't have to wait very long because God responds to him in chapter two, which was what Jen talked to us last week about. And it's just reminding Habakkuk that his timing is perfect and that he is the Lord God Almighty. And this is where we pick up this morning. So we're in chapter three, but we're stopping at verse 15. Now, if you've read ahead, you'll know that 15, like 16 is where it starts to get really good. And that's where we're stopping. And so you would think that in, in a, a book of three chapters, we would do a sermon series on three weeks. No, no, we're sneaky. So you have to come back next week uh, to hear Jen land um, the plane on Habakkuk. So we're going to read chapter three verses. We'll start at two and work our way down to 15. So here we go. Um, if you can find it in your Bibles, open that up. If not, it'll be on the screen for you in a moment. So how, chapter three. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the 
age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, and you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhered. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared, and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, in anger you threshed the nations." You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, and you stripped him from head to toe. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us. Gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Easy breezy. What Habakkuk has done in this song, this prayer, is incredibly intentional, and it's kind of beautiful. Um, I read it, and it is both reminiscent of what did happen, and it's part prophetic of what Habakkuk hopes will happen. And this, this section is called a theopony. It's a fun word to say. It's a physical manifestation of God's presence to humanity. And all of these verses from 3 all the way to 15 are reminiscent of how God moved in the past. It's a bit prophetic, but it's actually deeply nostalgic of what God has done. And so these words, these images, the places, all of these details are incredibly intentional to make anyone listening, especially the Israelites, of the stories of how God incredibly delivered his people from the hands of their enemies. I think we probably all can pick up on the Exodus language and how um, God used clouds and fires and plagues and darkness in the sea to deliver the Israelites. But we also might think of how God used thunderstorms and rain in battle over the Philistines. God sent an earthquake to the walls of Jericho. There's nods of how God held the sun that led to a victory for Joshua. I can even think of Deborah's song after they beat the Canaanite enemies in Judges 5. Her song, it, it feels familiar. And probably most recent to Habakkuk, there's a plague that defeated the Assyrians when they attacked Jerusalem in 2 Kings 19. He is deliberately recalling all of the events of the past. And so when we read verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. It's awe-inspiring to Habakkuk, and he recalls these past events. It's like the, the, arm, the, the hair on his arms is standing up. And there's a part of me that thinks, sure, Habakkuk, you just heard God speak. Like, of course you're in awe, because pretty much everybody in the Bible who has heard God speak leaves physically changed. Um, oh, I jumped ahead in my notes. Um, but he's standing in awe. And so God's response in chapter 2 Habakkuk comes to be reminded that is God who is in control. It is God who decides when and where and how he will act. And so when we read this prayer, we can hear Habakkuk saying, yeah, you're the boss. <laughs> um, of course, your will be done. I forgot there for a moment. Um, you got this. I'll just keep waiting over here. 
And this awe and this wonder, it like makes a lot of sense. And so the author writes this prayer. He reflects on the past powerful actions of God to give him perspective and strength, not only for the present, but for the future as well. And this is why this is a declaration of help, of hope. Um, Habakkuk looks back, reflecting on how God has moved, but he is also looking forward, looking towards creation, remembering all of the ways that God proves his presence and power. And since they don't have the Holy Spirit, Jesus hasn't come yet, this is what they had to place their hope in, the God who delivers them from the hands of their enemies. While they're living an, in unjust and violent times, all they had was the past stories of God and how the, his mighty acts of power were their salvation. That's what sustains their hope. And so Habakkuk prays with confidence that God is actually on the move again. Hold on. I think my notes are out of order. No, I think we're good. Sorry. Um, Oh yeah, no, they are. This goes here. This is why you should number your pages. Sorry, um, ADD moment. Nothing really changes over the course of this book. The world that Habakkuk is in is still a disaster. There's still a bad guy and there's still an enemy threatening to attack. The bad people are still bad and the Israelites aren't even really following God at this point. The situation is violent and bleak, and yet the tone of Habakkuk has shifted. He's had an attitude adjustment. Prayer um, and faith have shifted Habakkuk's perspective from frustration and anguish to praise and confidence. His conversation with God shifted his perspective, and this is what I was saying. Like, uh, of course it did, because every encounter that we have with God uh, in the Bible has has made people change. Moses looked physically different. Uh, Paul, he needed multiple days to recover to regain his strength. Um, it's noted that Daniel was exhausted and he took a nap. And that feels relatable. Um, hearing from God should change our perspective. And when we listen, what happens next is our responsibility. It is our choice then to shift our perspective onto the kingdom of God. So what does it mean? to truly stand in awe of what God has done. I think that thankfulness and gr gratitude are definitely a part of it, but it is stopping to take in these wow, weird God moments that has us stopping and pausing to recall the stories of how God has moved. Personally, I don't have a moment where I've audibly heard the Lord speak to me. I don't have one of these big supernatural moments of the beach at White Rock, like parting, um, to dwell on. But I can read the Exodus story and I can like start to visualize it. I've, I've seen the Prince of Egypt, so I've seen, you know, got some kind of visualization. But I think Habakkuk gives us a great way to remember God's power, even if we don't necessarily have these moments, these big acts of deliverance to go off of. And that's in creation. Um, I was recently in Kenya in May, and it was the best. I could tell you for many hours of why it was an amazing trip, but instead I'll spend two minutes. Um, 
so we were there, we traveled all around, but we spent five days on the coast and it was a 20 second walk to the beach of the Indian Ocean. I know, none of you want to hear this story anymore. But the fun thing about Kenya is it's pretty much right on the equator. So it's cool because I have a picture of like one foot on either side and felt really fun. Um, but because we were in the Southern Hemisphere and because we were in a small town right on the beach, I had an immediate priority. Okay, maybe swimming was first, but then, then I had one. And that is stargazing. The sky is literally different there. And it was incredible. It just had the right conditions. There was no cloud, there's no light pollution. And it was just so interesting to stare up at the sky and look at different stars and different constellations. It's so fun. And my friends and I just stood there for about 10 minutes in silence. And it was this profound moment of worship. Because for me, nothing makes me feel so small and so insignificant than standing in the darkness and just looking at the sky. It immediately puts me in check. God's big, I'm little. I'm just a human, I'm created, but man, God, he's creator. God designed and spoke that big sky into existence and gave it a good purpose and he can use it at his whim. And like last night, I was listening to that thunder and it's like part cool and part terrifying. And it's, you know, this stunning thing and it's a powerful thing and yet God wields it. It's crazy because God is the creator. He not only created the seas, but could subdue it. It demonstrates God's power and authority, and it's why Habakkuk asked this rhetorical question in verse 8. Is God mad at the river? No. Habakkuk is referring to the fact that God used his creation against his enemies. I think this changes our prayer life just a bit. Yes, we can and we should come to God with our petitions and our frustrations. Habakkuk certainly did. But a key point of his prayer is awe over what God has already done. And it sets up our prayers to be able to pray confidently with the image of God Almighty going forth. The message version um, translates Habakkuk's, and what he says in verse 2 to this, Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. He's asking God to do it again. But the tone is different. Habakkuk has moved from this frustrated perspective to an open posture of, thy will be done, Lord. It's a prayer of revival. It's not a specific petition of God, please do this, but a, God, you can do this, and you've done this. Please do it again. And how often does our prayer life reflect our circumstances rather than God's goodness? Or how often do we ignore our own posture when we pray for things? I think it works out a bit differently because we have access to the Holy Spirit now. We might not have sea parting stories, but we certainly have stories of how God provided or how God saved us. Maybe it was a gift card at the right moment. Maybe it was healthcare professionals at the right moment. Maybe it was the like, wise words of a counselor. 
and confident that God is still showing up in big life-changing ways, and it is our responsibility to posture ourselves around awe and wonder. Habakkuk is a witness. It's literally part of his job description as prophet. He is standing in the desert proclaiming God's works, and he starts this book a little depressed and pretty doubtful and ends it with confidence that the God who is the mighty warrior of the stories of the past is the same God who will fight for them again. Which brings me to a bit of a sticky point. I'll be honest, the portrayal of God as a warrior makes me slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't think I'm the only one. We don't really talk about Jesus as the powerful divine warrior that often. I mean, sure, we make reference to it every once in a while, but rarely do we dig into this characteristic of God. And I think for me that it's probably really uncomfortable because too many times I have heard these images of God used as a weapon or a scare tactic. Too many times I have heard people use these verses against select groups of people, and I'm frustrated when people use this image of God and ignore his mercy and his compassion. And it makes me uncomfortable because I prefer to think of God as like fuzzy and comforter and warm. And honestly, like it's a bit scary to take that image and then look at God as the divine warrior. But this description of God is the goodness of God. The Israelites needed God, the ultimate fighting champion, to come and display his wrath. To ignore it would be to put God in a box. It would limit his character. We will never know all of the parts of God, and that's my very favorite part about God. God is constant and yet nothing like we imagine. So in a very weird way, I can take comfort in God as the ultimate divine warrior because my human brain can only think of like Hollywood equivalents, and I know that that's not what God is like. So it somehow makes it better. Does that make sense? Maybe. Habakkuk and even me, we can only use human words to describe something heavenly and divine. And Habakkuk is trying to describe something he's not even seen. And he's using earthly words for a divine being and a supernatural event. Of course, the image doesn't compute. It's hard to do that, which is why it's a bit uncomfortable. But on the flip side, I want there to be justice. Not just as I see fit. My teenagers would tell you that's a bad idea. I want God's justice because his justice is good and it is inherently paired with mercy. So God's anger was good. Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods, they needed to be put in place. I wanted the Israelites to be free from their captivity and I want the oppressed to be delivered. This song that Habakkuk prays is recalling actual interventions of God delivering his people who were helpless. This passage is actually a celebration of God's past victories. The violence wasn't aimless and it was targeted at evil oppressors. And from the perspective of the bad guys, this is who God was to them. We all like to see our heroes standing on their victory. And we have to remember that for prophets, this was an encouraging me message. This is a great pep talk. The ultimate warrior has your back. 
And if you're people who are being attacked by foreign powers, war is constant threat, and then hearing that God is a warrior who controls creation is exactly what you want to be reminded of. So how does this change our prayers for the Ukraine or Sudan or the world? And I think I can get caught up on language, and I'm wondering if you do too, but I often hear the word wrath, and I immediately think of something horribly negative and evil. But wrath is just God's right, or righteousness and justice, and asking for God's wrath is actually asking for him to make it all right. The caution here is that we cannot limit this characteristic, this image of God, strictly to the Old Testament. So, Grab your Bibles again, and you're going to go to the end. That's right. We're going to hop into Revelations 19. So Revelations 19, we're going to read 11 through 16. It'll be on the screen as well. Didn't think we were going here, did you? I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and make war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That same warrior God that Habakkuk describing is still Jesus. He was the one who was and is, and is yet to come. And this is like one of those wow weird moments of the Trinity where they are all kind of one, but they are different and different, but they're the same. This can be Jesus who sat with kids and washed the feet of his disciples, but also flipped a few tables and carries a really big sword. And we have a really hard time imagining that combo together. Um, and that's kind of a gift and it's a gift of God, who God is, because the point is that God is so much bigger than we can imagine and therefore worship. It's actually a good challenge for us to approach our worship. God is worthy of our awe and praise because he is so much more than we can imagine. And here's the thing. When I think about the enemy and this ultimate fight of good versus evil, I, I actually want a warrior. I do not want anyone else, but this God here fighting the evil uh, powers and principalities of Satan, because here's the best part. If God is the warrior, we don't have to fight, <laughs> which is great news for everyone because I'm very wimpy with sword skills. I don't have to fight. God's got it. And this is why it's good news for Habakkuk and for us. The fight is not ours. Is the fight going to look different than what we think? Most definitely. But I don't need to think about it. And ultimately, this battle, God's already won it. 
Jesus has already defeated death on a cross. That's why it says that his robe is dripped in blood. It's his blood. Jesus as a warrior gives me hope that evil has not won and everything sad will come untrue. And I think that's what Habakkuk landed on too. This third chapter is a response to an earlier question of Habakkuk. And he says, why God do you let evil people go unpunished? The answer is he doesn't. God delivered his people, punishing the wicked oppressors. Jesus defeated death when he died on the cross. When I think about our theme, seeing in the dark, I actually think about my really cool tattoo. Wait, is it this way? Yeah. I know you can't really see it online, but there you go. It's a lantern. Um, I know that some of you don't love tattoos, and I'm sorry about that. But this um, lantern is based off of a camp that was really special to me. It's their logo. Um, But I, I wanted a lantern because I love the imagery of light and dark. And for me, light is a really big piece of my faith life. And I would imagine that word resonates with a lot of you too. It's a reminder to me that in some of my most broken and hardest times, there was good that came from it. In some of my darkest hours, God was with me and there were glimmers of light. I know there is light because I have seen it show up powerfully in my life in the past. And so it is because I have seen the light in the past that I know that there is light right now, even among the hard light is coming. And I might even make the reach to say that remembering how God intervened in the past is part of my like act of picking up the lantern and showing it in the darkness. Recalling these past moments isn't always easy. They don't always come naturally, but picking up that light, it's like a muscle memory. It's an active choice of worship for us. And I think the part of darkness is this idea that we don't actually see God fully. We get glimpses of starlight and shooting stars along the way, but the stories that reveal who God is make it a bit brighter as we go. By adding to our knowledge of God, it's getting brighter and brighter in the darkness. So knowing God as creator helps us see. Understanding God as judge and warrior increases that light all the more. Remembering the past helps us see ahead in the darkness. Recalling God's goodness is what gives hope. That's what helps us walk forward confidently. The same God who was with us in the past is the same God who walks before us, but also goes with us. I've come to appreciate this little book, This Minor Prophet. I know, I had woes about this. Um, But it's oddly personal, and I like that. Um, Israel isn't really like a big part of the conversation in this book, and Habakkuk expresses his own frustrations and then later awe, which oddly endears him to me. Um, I would really encourage you, if you haven't already, to to read the whole book, the whole three chapters, uh, before we wrap up next week. But I would encourage you to read it in like the message or the voice, a translation that just gives a little bit more dramaticness to it, because they really do that. They highlight the dramatics of Habakkuk. And you can really pick up on the emotional journey that Habakkuk goes from, or from the how long do I have to cry out before you answer, to this, I've stopped in my tracks and I'm down on my knees. 
He's a bit traumatic and a little bit blunt in that prophetic way, which is why I like him. But also, nothing changes. This is a story in the Bible when this isn't a story in the Bible when like God acts and everything all magically works out and everything changes. This prophet, it, it, this, it just ends. And so this prophet whose questions and wrestling with God feel familiar to me, to us. And he does something important. He waits, he listens, and that turns into prayer. And then he finds himself in awe of the vastness of God's sovereignty. And that's where he realized he wanted and needed to be. He reminded himself that the only real life, the life worth living, is the life where he could believe and trust in who God is. Habakkuk was reminded that God works things into good. And maybe we need that reminder too. Lauren, if you want to come up and lead us. Um, I really appreciate, actually, I think, Lauren, you've done a, a great job of listening uh, this week because I feel like we were singing holy, 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 and I had the arm spike moment. And so I always kind of appreciate, I feel like the themes of the, um, the chapter are coming out in this, um, in our worship set, which is great. Um, let me pray. Lord God, we rejoice in your greatness and your power. Your gentleness and your love, your mercy and your justice. Would you enable us by your spirit to honor you in our thoughts and our words and our actions and to serve you in every aspect of our lives. Through Jesus Christ, amen.